0: Well, welcome to the crossing. So good to see you today. Glad you're here. Hope you've had a great summer. I've had a few weeks to rest and relax and recoup. And as you can see, I still have not shaved. It's funny when you're in my position. You get 5,000 people who love to give you their opinion on your appearance, and that's great, and I love it. Love being a part of here. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you help me welcome our Southeast Campus, those who are watching online, and our microsites? Welcome, glad that you're part of the Crossing family. I'm praying for you daily. This is an exciting time of year for us as a church because this is the time of year when people come back from vacations, come back from camps. We have hundreds who have been on mission trips globally around the world this summer and school starts tomorrow, which means parents, you made it. And students, I apologize because you have another nine months until you get off again. And September is just right around the corner. And September is one of the greatest growth months for us as a church. I can't quite explain it. It's just one of those times where everybody comes back to church and there's a lot of people who find Jesus during this time of year. And so in September, we're starting a series called Open Doors. And we're going to talk about how to discover God's will for your life. And when you see these doors, what are the open doors for you and what are the closed doors and how do you know which is open and which is closed and where to go? And we're going to tell you more about that in the next few weeks. But I want you to be engaged in that series. I want you to be here on the weekends. I want you to get plugged into a small group. I want you to invite your friends because there is not a person that you know who's not interested in in what God might want for their life. But I feel like the next few weeks... Are really important for us to spiritually re-engage our hearts and our souls and to realign with God after all the distractions of the summer. And today we're launching a brand new series called Unleashed that we want to unleash our church to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And today we're talking about the power of prayer. That I believe that God just does something in us when we pray. The first time I got really serious about prayer was in high school. I went to student ministry at my church and I remember it was every Wednesday night and I came in, one night, There's about 40 or 50 of us high school kids in this room and my youth pastor turns off the lights and he says, tonight we're gonna pray. Well, I have to admit, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's great for five minutes. What are we gonna do for the rest of the hour? And throughout that entire summer, Every Wednesday night, he just came in and says, we're going to learn how to pray. And that summer, we learned how to pray. And we felt a connection with God in a way I had never felt it before. We saw prayers being answered and people being transformed. And maybe you have a season in your life like that. But for most of us, when it comes to prayer, there's a question I think all of us have wondered about. And we would never say it out loud. We wouldn't say it out loud. But it's this question. It's this right here. Why pray? If God already knows everything, then why pray? I mean, if God is is already know what we're thinking, then why pray? What's the big deal with that is even listening? And if we're honest, there are certain seasons of our life where we pray and we pray and we pray, and it seems like God is completely silent and he's not listening to our prayer. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 5, because today, James is going to address this very question with us. He's going to address this question, why pray? And James is pretty cool because he's the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? I mean, it would be pretty cool and it would be not so cool. It'd be pretty cool cuz you get to hang out with Jesus. It'd be not so cool cuz you would always be the one that was in trouble. You would always be the one who did something wrong. And so, James starts off and he says this. He says verse 13, "Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray." Is anyone among you in trouble? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Here's the first reason that he gives us to pray. It's because we're in trouble. That we pray because we're in trouble. Anybody ever have trouble in your life? Relationship trouble? Marriage trouble? Trouble with your kids? Health trouble? Addiction trouble? Financial trouble? Emotional trouble? Work trouble? Of course, all of us do. According to a Gallup survey, nine out of ten of us claim to pray regularly. Four out of five of us claim to pray every day. But let's be honest, trouble is the number one reason that we pray. In fact, prayer comes from the the Latin word precarious. It's where we get our English word precarious, that we pray in precarious situations. We pray when we're in trouble. We pray out of desperation. We pray when there's nowhere else to turn. We pray when there's a test at school that we have to pass. We pray when that routine physical exam turns into your worst medical nightmare. We pray when finally after trying to get pregnant, the pregnancy ends in a miscarriage. We pray when adoptions fall through at the last minute. We pray when we hit unexpected turbulence in the plane. And when you look around, there's a lot of this going on at the plane. I mean, there's no atheist at that moment. (laughs) A few weeks ago, Darla and I watched the movie Sully. I don't know if you've seen this or not. Sully is the movie about Sully Sullenberger. He was the pilot who crash-landed the U.S. Airways plane on the Hudson River in New York City. And there was an interview of one of the flight attendants who was in the cabin, and she says, at the time, the cabin got real quiet, and it seemed like most people were praying. I thought, I'll bet they were. You know, the captain didn't have to make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen. You'll notice that we've just made a really, really sharp turn and both of the engines are out. This would be a good time to pray. Uh, You don't have to say that because we pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're in trouble. I got a call from a friend of mine a couple months ago, a friend of mine who goes to church here at the crossing. His son is an army ranger stationed in the Middle East. He's on the front lines of fighting ISIS, trying to push them back. And on June 5th, he was on a night mission and set off an IED explosive as he stepped on it, he and another soldier. And my friend called me and he said, Shane, he's on his way to Baghdad for emergency surgery. They're trying to save his leg. Would you pray? Because when we're in trouble, we pray. He said they're going to send him on to Germany and then they're going to send him to Walter Reed doing surgeries all along the way and we're trying to save his leg. Because it's at times like that that we pray. And Sam has now had over 10 surgeries and so far they've been able to save his leg. And we just believe that's the power of prayer. We believe that's just God showing up. Friends, James is saying when you're in trouble, your heavenly father wants you to pray. When when my kids are in trouble, I want them to come to me. I want to respond. I want to meet their needs. As a loving parent, I always respond. I may not respond in the way that they want me to respond, but I always respond in the way that is best for them. There's this picture in Revelation chapter 8. It's a picture of heaven. And there are these songs that are being sung around the throne of God. And then all of a sudden, heaven goes silent because the prayers of God's people are rising to heaven. And all heaven stops so that your prayers and my prayers can rise before God. That he listens, he cares, and he acts upon our requests. He says, is there any among you who is in trouble? Let them pray. Second reason that we pray is because we're grateful. It's out of this heart of gratitude that we have. James goes on to say, he says, Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. I wear this, this wireless mic every Sunday, and usually what my pattern is is I'll come in there in the first song, and I'll sit on the front, and I turn it on so that it's all ready for me to go so I don't have to forget to turn it on. Bob, our sound guy, he doesn't turn it on until I get up here. Well, it was a few months ago. I'm just caught up in worship. I mean, I'm just we're in this song, and, and I remembered Bob was not running sound that day, and I had this panicked moment. Because I thought, did the sound guy turn my mic off, or am I singing through the sound system? <laughs> because I was just caught up, and I, let me just tell you, I don't make a joyful noise. I mean, it's just <laughs> this other kind of noise. I'm like, I don't, oh, no. See, some of you do not understand why we sing songs. You, you, you're kind of irritated by it. You don't like it. Here's the reason that we sing songs. We're not singing songs just so we can sing together. We're singing songs out of this grateful heart of gratitude to what God has done for us. We sing songs because God has saved us. So James says, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise because of what God has done for us. It's just this natural inclination that comes out of us, that we sing songs of praise. I'm in my late late 40s. Now, my wife will tell you I'm in my excruciatingly late 40s. And here's the danger for for those of us who are over 40 years old. If you're over 40 years old, here's the danger. As we get older, it's easy to become bitter and cynical. I just don't want to be like that. I just want to have this heart of gratitude. I want to sing songs of praise like nobody's listening to me, and it's just between me and God. What are you grateful for? There's a book that came out a few years ago called The Culture of Complaint, that we live in a society that feels entitled to all kinds of things. And we have these expectations that we expect, and when they don't get met, we turn to complaint. We feel like we're victims. So he says we live in this culture of complaint. We say, I'm thankful, but... It's a pretty good job, but... They're good kids most of the time, but... He's a pretty good husband, but well, this is a pretty good church, but, and friends, that kind of ingratitude just makes our hearts grow smaller and harder and colder. That kind of ingratitude has led to a culture of discontent, complaining, judgmentalism, and dissatisfied people. See, one of the things that amazes me about the Apostle Paul Is the Apostle Paul, no matter what he went through, no matter what circumstances he endured, whether it was prisons or beatings or shipwrecks or hunger or enduring his thorn in the flesh, he always maintained a grateful heart. Look what he writes in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will is for you? You start right here. You start right here. If you want to know what God's will is for you, you give thanks in all circumstances. Now, he didn't say give thanks for all circumstances because it's hard to give thanks for all circumstances. When you're going through hard times, it's hard to give thanks for that. When you have some serious thing going on in your life, it's hard to give thanks for that. He says you give thanks in all circumstances. You give thanks in all circumstances. And one of the things that I'm trying to learn is just this phrase, it could be worse. It could be worse. I was listening to an interview of Sheryl Sandberg this this week. Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook, has written a couple books. And in her newest book, she talks about losing her husband at 44 years old to a cardiac arrest and then trying to recover. She says, one of the things that I learned is that it could be worse. It could be worse. She said, my husband could have been driving my kids and I could have lost my whole family it could be worse. And I think it'd be good for us just to say this together. Let's say this together. It could be worse. Okay. Now, okay. I know some of you have a hard time saying that, so we're going to try this again. Okay. So let's try to say this again. It could be worse because what's going to happen is you're going to leave this auditorium and you're going to go out to the parking lot and you're going to pass some really, really nice cars. And you're going to come to your car that has over 100,000 miles on it, and you wish you could get a new one, but you can't, and so you're going to tend to complain, but you're not going to complain. You're going to say, it could be worse. Tomorrow, you're going to be on the stairs, and you're going to need to stop halfway to rest. And then you're not going to know whether you were going up or down. You're going to completely forget. And you're going to tend to want to complain, but you're not. You're going to say, You're going to get home to your house and you're going to see all the things that need to be done in your house. All the furniture that needs to be replaced. But you're going to say, tomorrow morning you're going to roll over and you're going to look at your spouse and you're going to say, okay, no, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) When we live with a heart of gratitude, it changes us. It changes us. So James says, if you're happy, if you have something to be grateful for, then sing songs of praise. So we pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're grateful. And then third, we pray because we need a place of complete honesty. place of complete honesty. James goes on in verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. You confess your sins to each other. One of the values that we hold highest here at the crossing is that life change happens best in relationships. It's why we believe that small groups are such a big deal at this place. We believe it's part of the discipleship journey. And it's why we're kicking off this whole new season of small groups in a few weeks. And I hope that you'll get plugged in. That there is enormous freedom in finding a few people that you can connect with, be totally honest with. You can take off your mask and say, this is who I really am. This is me. All of us need some relationships where we can be completely honest. There is something therapeutic and healing when that happens. When we can bring what was in the dark out to the light. And healing just begins to rush into our heart. But sometimes this is really hard because the things in our life are just too deep or they're too embarrassing or we're too ashamed of what we've done. So we'll say this in our small group. We'll say something like this. Well, I have an unspoken prayer request. Let me tell you what that's code word for. That's code word for I'm not telling you people in a million years because we just kind of want to hide behind that mask. It just causes us just to step back into inauthenticity. When I was growing up, we had this guy who used to pray at our church all the time, but when he would get up to pray, his voice would change. Maybe you had somebody at your church that was like this. His, his voice would change, and he would say something like this. He'd be talking in a normal voice, and it'd be, Oh thou great Jehovah. I come before you having sipped of your unmerited justification, offered through your designated propitiation for our redeeming sin, and my pilgrimage of sanctification. You're like, what? What is he even saying? I mean, what's going on up there? Because I don't understand that. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who, who like to impress people with their prayers. He said, go into your closet and pray in that private place where you can be real with God. You can be honest with God. It's a place where you can say, search me, oh God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Prayer is that place that you can be completely honest with God. Prayer is where you can take your deepest secrets. You can release your shame and your regret. And finally let them go. See, we pray because we're in trouble. We pray because we're grateful. We pray because it's a place of complete honesty. And here's this last one. And I believe this right here, it's this big idea for us today. We pray because it's powerful and effective. That prayer is powerful and effective. Here's the way that James says it. He says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And here's where some of you are right now. You're going, oh, well, you don't know me because I'm not righteous. If only you knew my story. If only you knew my background, you would know that's not me. Let me tell you, there is nobody in this room that is righteous on their own. That we are righteous because of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us because Jesus died on the cross. You have become, the Apostle Paul tells us, you have become the righteousness of God. See, we can, we can come to God out of this because our prayers are powerful and effective. And then he goes on and he gives us an example of this. He says, Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Elijah was this hero of the Bible. He was a giant of the faith, and there was a lot of miracles that happened with, with Elijah. In one story, Elijah raised a widow's son from the dead. In another well-known story, he calls down fire from heaven to, to defeat the prophet to Baal. That's a pretty cool story. There's another story where he's in a mountain and God shows up and God doesn't speak out of the earthquake or out of the thunder. God speaks in a gentle whisper to Elijah. But maybe the coolest miracle for Elijah is Elijah didn't die. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. Now, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool to not die? Just go, peace out. I'm going to heaven. You know, I'm out of here. Well, James refers to another miracle that God worked in Elijah's life. And since the nation of Israel was worshiping other gods, they'd turned away from God. Elijah prayed that there would be a drought in the land to get the people's attention. And God answered that prayer, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And when everything had died, and there is this drought, it finally gets their attention, and Elijah prays again and the rain returns. See, our temptation is to think, well, he's a hero of the Bible because God doesn't work in my life like that. But look what James writes here. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was was a human just like you. He was a person just like you. Here's what James wants wants to remind us, is that Your prayers are powerful and effective. And we we hear this story and we just assume, well, I don't have a connection with God like that because my prayer life, it doesn't work like that. But James says this miraculous, powerful prayer is available to everyone who serves and follows God. And if you're facing some kind of personal drought right now, you need to know that God moves in miraculous ways. You pray earnestly because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Tony Campolo is a Christian author and a teacher, and he writes in one of his books this story that I just want to read for you. He says, there's a Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I'm not Pentecostal, but I talk so fast they think I'm speaking in tongues, so it works out okay. One day they invited me to speak at a chapel service. Just before I spoke, eight guys took me into a back room and got me on my knees. Then they laid their hands on my head and prayed for me. That was good. I need all the prayer I can get. Only one problem. These guys prayed a long time. That's usually okay. But the longer they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more that they leaned on my head. And I want to tell you when eight guys are leaning on your head, it doesn't feel so good. One guy wasn't even praying for me. Instead, he was praying on and on, praying for somebody named Charlie Stolfus. Dear Lord, he shouted. You know Charlie Stolfus. He lives in the silver trailer down the road about a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. I felt like saying, knock it off, fella. What do you think God is doing? Saying, oh, what's the address again? Let me get that down. (laughs) Anyway, he just went on and on. Lord Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids, walk down on his family. Lord, step in, do something, bring that family together again. Well, I'm kneeling there, eight guys leaning on my head, so I'm asking myself, when is this guy going to knock it off so I can get these preachers off of my head? But he kept going on and on about Charlie Stolfus, leaving his wife and kids, constant reminder he's living in the silver trailer a mile down the road, right-hand side. Finally, the prayers were over. I got to the pulpit and I preached, and after I finished, I got in my car and I drove down the Pennsylvania turnpike headed for home. As I drove onto the turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. Now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher. And whenever I can get anybody locked in as a captive audience, I do it. (laughs) So I stopped and picked him up. We drove a few minutes. I said, hi, my name's Tony Campola. What's your name? He said, my name is Charlie Stolfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a bit uneasy with that. after a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you going? I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked why. I said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off of me. I drove off the turnpike at the next exit. Then I really did him in as I drove right up to his silver trailer. <laughs> when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge and he said, how did you know where I, that I lived there? I said, God told me, (laughs) because I believe that God did tell me. We got out of the car, and I ordered him to get into the trailer. Half-shaking, he answered, right, mister, sure, I'm going. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back, and he whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. Then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, I'm going to talk, and you're going to listen, and man, did they listen. He writes, that afternoon, those two young people were led to Jesus Christ. And today, that guy is a preacher of the gospel out in California. (laughs) Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, he says, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations? A house of prayer. Jesus didn't say, my house will be called a house of busyness. He didn't say, my house will be called a house of many activities. He didn't say, my house will be called a house of clever ideas, or all the other good things going on. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And I believe that that is his calling for this place. I believe that we're in a season where God is calling this house the church, to pray. And for your house, the house where you live, and I believe he's calling this house, our body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, lives in you, resides in you. God is still calling his house to be a house of prayer. And what could God do to change lives To change relationships that are in trouble right now. To change a country that is divided by racism. If his people would begin to pray. Some of you need prayer today. There's a card in front of you. Connect card that at the bottom has a place to write a prayer request. And you can write that down, put it in these offering boxes as you leave, and we'll have our entire prayer team praying for you. But some of you, you cannot leave today without somebody praying for you. And we have a room over here called The Commons. We have people who are ready to pray for you. And you need somebody to pray for you today. As part of this series, we're we're launching a special prayer emphasis called 21 Days of Prayer. Starting tomorrow... We're going to have 21 days of focused, intentional prayer. Prayer for each other. Prayer for our church. Prayer for our community. Prayer for our country. And we're going to have social media posts that go along with this every day. That I want you to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And every day at 8 a.m., we're going to have the scripture of the day and then the prayer focus of that day. And also on our website, the crossinglv.com slash pray will have all of those things. So if you miss one, you can go and you can see all of them. What we're gonna be praying for in these next 21 days. That we want to come before God. And I want you to interact with us, to let us know you're doing this, to just press like. So if you get on Facebook or Instagram, just, just press like. Yes, I'm praying. I'm praying. And then next Wednesday, August 23, we're having a night of worship right here. We're going to come together as a church and we're going to worship God together and we're going to pray together. We want you to be here. I want us to pray. See, I think if we are honest, many of us look good on the outside. We come to church, maybe we read our Bible, maybe you're part of some group or serving somewhere, but if the truth be known, many of us have not spent more than five minutes in prayer this week. What if we could change that? What if we could change that? What if we started praying just five minutes a day? All of us. What if you begin to pray five or 10 or 15 more minutes every day? What could God do in us? How could God change things? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to pray together. But I want to lead you into a time of prayer. I want to lead this moment. Are any of you in trouble? The Bible says that you should pray. So if that's you today, I want you to bring your troubles to God right now. And then after the service is dismissed, if you want somebody to pray for you, we'd love to pray for you. Do you find yourself grateful today, happy? Maybe today you just want to sing some songs of praise and celebration before God. How has God blessed you? Maybe in ways you don't even understand. How has God blessed you materially or relationally or spiritually? Just express that gratitude to God right now. Maybe some of you need a place of honesty today that you can confess your sins to God today right now. Some of you, you need to say yes to Jesus today to start a relationship with Jesus right now in this moment. The prayer made by God's righteous people is powerful and effective. So God, we come to you. We ask that you would intervene, that you would show your power in this place, you would show your power in our lives. God, we submit our lives to Jesus. God, I want to pray for those right now who are wrestling with starting a relationship with Jesus this moment, that this would be the moment that they finally say yes to Jesus. God, we pray all this in his name, the name of the one who died for us. the name of Jesus, amen.